0: Right now, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter um, 12. Mark, chapter 12. Today, we'll be looking at verse 18 through 27 this morning. And we are in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 11 through 16. Uh, Six chapters, Mark devotes to the last week of Jesus' life on earth. Uh, It's called the Passion Week, some theologians call it. It's the week where um, he's being tested with a series of questions. Ultimately, he'll be betrayed um, on Thursday night by one of his disciples, Judas. And he will uh, eventually give his life up for each one of us on the cross and he will rise again on that early Sunday morning, the first Easter morning. So here comes another question. If you are with us last week or watched or listened, uh, there is another question that's coming, and it's really these questions are trying to trap Jesus, trying to get him into uh, a, a situation where whatever answer he gives, there's going to be a group of people that didn't then discount him as what people were proclaiming, that he's the Messiah, especially as he came in uh, on Palm Sunday, as he proclaimed... And And he welcomed the proclamation that he was the the king that had, had come in and to be received by the nation of Israel. So Jesus answers this week a question about eternity. We'll begin in verse 18 of Mark's gospel. It says this, and the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. We'll pause right there. So here comes now a new group, the Sadducees. They are... Uh, a gr- religious group but they're really just materialists they they are they they were the the high priests of the time they're a wealthy group of people uh, they came from high standing families and as far as like the scriptures are concerned the only parts that they actually received as like authoritative in in their life was the first 5 books of our bible it's called the torah the pentateuch it's it's the books of moses as it's often referred to those are the only scriptures that they actually received. So if a doctrine couldn't be defended by the first five books of the Bible, they would discount it. They wouldn't accept it. Uh, they only trusted in things that they could actually see uh, in their life. And so they rejected all the supernatural events except for the fact that God exists. So they didn't believe or receive the fact that, uh, that there are angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in heaven or hell or judgment or rewards in eternity. Uh, they were kind of a sad bunch of people. Uh, being a grandpa now, um, I heard this, how, how you sort of can put this together. Um, they don't believe in heaven. That's why they're sad, you see. There we go. That's for free. Have baby number two. We don't have baby number two coming, right? That would be a crisis pregnancy. We'd have to call them. Uh, that would be a, uh, uh, we have uh, Another baby girl coming in June, which we're super pumped and excited to have. So my grandpa jokes are starting to start to flow. So sorry if I had to throw that out for you. They didn't believe in the resurrection because in their view, it wasn't taught in the Torah. They believe that when the body dies, the soul dies, that a person just ceases to exist. And so they come up with this question, uh, one that they would use on the Pharisees who believed all the things that the Bible taught, believed in the supernatural, angels, demons, heaven, hell, the resurrection, and they would often stump them with this type of a question. And so they asked the question, teacher, Moses wrote, he, he refers, they refer to a, a, a law found in the Torah, about this, uh, this idea that if a man dies without a child, and he's married, that his brother has to uh, raise up offspring for his dead brother. In verse 20, it says, so they say, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise You think the fourth brother would say, I think you're bad luck, but in their story, he marries her too. It says in verse 22, and the seven, um, and the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, you can see this little smirk coming on their face. Jesus, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be for all seven we're married to her. So this is this law that we find in the Old Testament. And they would use it as sort of an argument and say, like, you know what? We're going to tell you how absurd it is to believe about the afterlife in heaven because what is this woman going to do? Which brother is she going to choose in heaven? And who gets to actually be married to her in heaven? Uh, this doctrine or this, um, this law is important, kind of the story, of Jesus' arrival on planet Earth. Um, Ruth, the story of Ruth, um, this law came into effect in her life, and so that's how we get to the, the King David and eventually to the Messiah. We see it in the book of Genesis with Judah and Tamar, and, and that's how we actually get the lineage of Jesus. You can read that in the book of Matthew in the beginning when it talks about uh, all the relatives that eventually produced the Messiah into the world. It's also a good way to make sure your brother didn't marry a difficult uh, sister-in-law, right? Because, you know, your brother would bring a girlfriend home and go, hey, everyone, I want you to meet. Let's just call her Susie because no one's named Susie in the room. Uh, And and the brother's like, no, 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 no. You can't marry Susie because if you go, that means I got to marry her, right? So I've seen her Instagram. No, thank you. Pick another one. Their question is to show the absurdity of believing in heaven, the resurrection, life after death. So they say, Jesus, who gets her? And they think they're so smart because they finally caught Jesus with the same argument that they would catch the Pharisees with, saying, this is how dumb it is to believe that there's life after death. And so Jesus says in verse 24, read with me, it says, and Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? We live in a world where it's uh, very judgmental to say what you believe is wrong, right? He says, is this not the reason you are wrong? And he gives two reasons. You're, You're mistaken for two reasons. One, he says, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He says, you don't know what the scriptures say And you don't know the power of God. The word he actually used means you're deceiving yourselves. They're ignorant of God's truth and his word and his power. You are wrong. We do live in a time where you can have your truth, right? Your coworker can have their truth. And we can all have our own truth. And as long as it's true for you, it's all good. But don't put some kind of, you know, condemning thing on what I believe about spirituality or about things about God or, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, People think this way, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. In fact, I heard one pastor say something extremely uh, brilliant. He said, everything is right except when it comes to Christianity, right? Well, we believe that God created the earth and that he sent his son, Jesus, and he died eventually for the sins of the world. He rose again from the dead Right and and he offers salvation to all. Hey, don't be putting that stuff on me. Right. So they 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 welcome truth as long as it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. So Jesus addresses their error. They're ignorant of his power and his word. So first he addresses uh, the fact that they actually don't believe in his power to raise the dead, the reality of heaven. He says in verse twenty five, for when they rise, notice that when they rise from the dead. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. The Bible teaches that the soul lives after the body dies. And here Jesus talks about the fact that you don't believe in the power of God to raise the dead. He takes this moment to address that, and he teaches us about the nature of heaven. He says that when they rise, they're like the angels, right? Their question had to do with marriage. Uh And who gets to be married to that one of those brothers or which brother gets to be married to that girl? Uh, He says, no, we're like the angels. Now, when he says we're like the angels, we don't get wings. You know, when I became a Christian, you know, it was really popular was uh, precious moments. Did you guys have like little precious moments things like your, you know, your baby shower. We get like a little precious moments thing. You know, these little fat, little white babies that have like wings and they have harps and stuff. And it's like, if that's what heaven is like, I want to live for a very, very long time. (laughs) because That sounds terrible, doesn't it? So he says we're like the angels. In what way? Well, it's hard to wrap our heads around, like, the concept of heaven. You know, there's a lot of things the Bible teaches, and there's a lot of things that uh, are kind of missing, and it would be foolish for us to sort of conjecture on, well, this is what it's going to be like, and that's what it's going to be like, and gee, I had this, you know, this, this pet kitten when I was a baby, and so this, you know, cat's going to be there, and there's no cats in heaven. Golden doodles running around everywhere. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> But we sort of allow our minds to carry what we know about this world into the next world. The nature of heaven is not an extension of earthly life. It's funny, they have a false idea about heaven that they actually don't believe in. So Jesus says, listen, let me tell you where you're wrong. Uh, we don't just pick up on where we left off. And so there's no marriage in heaven. For those of us with wonderful marriages, it's almost like you go, I don't know too much about heaven, but man, I don't know if I want to go because I actually love being married. I love being married to my spouse. For those that have struggling marriages, you're like, where's this promise of the return of the Son of God, like you've been saying for years? There's a free sermon. If you have a bad marriage, don't wait. The rapture's not going to cure it, okay? Okay. Uh, how about honor the Lord and actually work on your marriage? And then you get free when you get to heaven, right? But work on your marriage, right? You know, we, we will be rewarded. The Bible affirms that there's rewards in heaven. And it's based on our obedience to God. And sometimes we think it's our obedience to, you know, to preach the gospel in a mighty way or to, you know, to go and and to raise millions of dollars for some mission organization and build orphanages and all those things are wonderful. But I wonder if the sort of the, the grade, if you would, on like our obedience is like, did you obey, love your wife as Christ loved the church? Have you seen the orphanages we built, Lord? right? Like, well, no, no, let's just start right there. How, how about just work on, you know, that's a whole nother sermon series. How about just work on honoring the vows that you made before Almighty God? And then when you get to heaven, you're free. I meant that as a joke. <laughs> you know, on earth, why do we have marriage? For lots of reasons. One is for a beautiful picture of the the bride of Christ and Jesus, the groom, right? Marriage is supposed to be something that projects this relationship that the church has with Jesus. It's also uh, so that we might have a companionship, a partnership on earth, you know, a a oneness with somebody, this, you know, beautiful relationship that many get to experience. Uh, It's also to populate the earth, as God says, to be fruitful and multiply. Malachi says that we might stay married so that we might raise up godly offspring. Well, in heaven, there's no babies, so we're not going to be raising up godly offspring. So that's a reason why marriage ceases in heaven. But it raises some questions about heaven. Will we know our spouse in heaven? Will we know people in heaven? Yes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that, that then we will be fully known Right so when the perfect comes, when Christ returns, right when we're with Him, uh, then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. Earlier in the Gospel Mark, it was uh, the Peter, James, and John who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is transformed into His pre carnation like before He came to Earth, His glorified who he was, his glorified body, and there's Moses and Elijah. And they're like, Lord, it's good that we're here. We'll build a tabernacle for you, for Moses and Elijah. How did Peter know who Moses were and Elijah were? Well, of course, the name tag. Hello, my name is Elijah. It's just there's an intuitive knowledge that they just knew that that was Moses and Elijah in that moment. And so we will know, of course we will know. In fact, we'll know to the greatest degree, one another and others in heaven. What will heaven be like? Well, the Bible affirms that there will be no more death. Like there will be no sorrow over loss or death. That will be over, right? Death has already been defeated. There'll be no tears, Revelation tells us. No crying in heaven. Like when we were were raising kids, like, hey, no crying in this van going to Disneyland. In heaven, there's no more tears. There's no pain. There's no sin. There's no devil. Paul talks about a vision he had of heaven. Uh, In the book of Acts, we see that Paul was actually stoned. Uh, to actually to death. They gathered around him, they prayed, and he actually miraculously was resurrected, not in a resurrected body, but he was resuscitated back to life. Well, Whatever those moments were when he was actually dead, he talks about it. He was caught up to the third heaven. And the, you know, the, when we talk about levels of heaven, it's not like you know, what uh, religions would teach us, like, well, you made it to this level, but you made it here. Uh, the, the third heaven is where God exists. The first heaven is where the birds are flying around, our atmosphere the second heaven would be referred to the, where the stars exist and the moon and the sun uh, in outer space. And then the third heaven is God's presence. And Paul talked about he was caught up to the third heaven and he heard things inexpressible. He couldn't even utter the words. There's no human language that could describe the th- not the things that he saw, But just the things that he heard. There was something that was so overwhelming about the sound of heaven that he said, I can't even get a word in the English language. It's not even right for a man to speak about what he heard because it was so utterly amazing. We'll serve the Lord in some role, we're not floating around with harps. Well, how do we exist in heaven? Well, we get new bodies, we get resurrected bodies. He said, you're wrong on two accounts. You don't understand the power of God. If God can raise up Jesus from the dead, he can raise up all of us who die in faith and give us a new body. Why do we need a new body in eternity? I know it's hard for you young people to understand this, But like I don't want to have to go to heaven and go like, why are you still limping, bro? Well, I never really got around to getting that hip replaced. You know what I mean? There's a there's actually a real book called Grandpa Got a Brand New Hip. (laughs) It's like one of my buddies got a hip replacement. I tried to buy it and it was like 250 bucks on Amazon. Like, okay. So I just said it's just a funny joke. It's a real book though, by the way. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Like, these bodies contain sin. Like, you and I are are not um, sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And you, body, soul, and spirit, that's the total package of who you are. And that total package is going to be forever alive in God's presence, but with a brand new body. If If you're hair challenged today, boom, big old Afro in heaven. Maybe that's what you get but it'll be you and we'll be able to know you. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He talks about how our, our bodies are like a tent. He said, and these tents are wearing away. And then he talked about, but, but we will get a, a building made by God, not human hands forever in eternity. He's speaking on how these bodies are frail, how these bodies begin to deteriorate, how these bodies begin to fail us have you, ever, have you ever looked a, a, an older person in the eyes? I had a grandmother; she's the sweetest thing, uh, Grandma Jewel. And man, when I would sit with her and talk to her, you know, she was in a wheelchair since I was about five years old. She had this like ex- like very strange muscle disease um, where she couldn't actually like contract her skeletal muscles, so she was in a wheelchair and she could walk you know walk across the kitchen, but she'd be exhausted afterward. And uh, and so. I would look at her eyes and I would talk to her, and I was like, I would look into her, like who she was. I'm just going, there's just like this wisdom and this alive person that's so close to death. It's so weird. How you just go, I feel more alive now, and gosh, you know, we 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 throw that around. If I could, if I knew then what I know now, right? I would have stretched a a lot more. I would have done Pilates, not worked out. I would have invested. It's crazy how we just, you don't feel like the inside is not getting old. Like our outside is wearing away, but our inside is being renewed. We get a brand new body. You can inject it. You can peel it. You can cut on it. You can uh, fill it. But guess what? Eventually, we all start to fall apart. And the good news is we get a new body. What kind of body do we get? Well, we get a body like Jesus' resurrected body. They looked at him when he rose from the dead, and, and Thomas, who had already uttered his doubt, if I don't see his body put my hand where those nail scars were and where he was pierced in his side, I won't believe in his resurrection. And Jesus pops in the room and he says, Thomas, come and put your hands here right feel this resurrected body is a real body that you and i get but it's but it's eternal it's glorious paul talks about this the passage we'll look at at easter by the way you should be thinking about who you're going to invite to join us on easter sunday morning where paul talks about this this uh this mortal body will be raised in immortality Right, this, this mortal must be swallowed up by immortality. All of you existing for all eternity. Of all the things we don't know about heaven, I could promise you, you won't be disappointed. You won't show up and go like, ah, oh, I should have took door number two, right? They were ignorant of the scriptures as well. They they fail to see that Moses taught a continuation of life after one dies. He says, you're you're ignorant of God's power. He kind of went reverse order. You're ignorant of God's power, but you're also ignorant of the scriptures. In verse 26 and 27, he says, "And, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses the section of scripture they only accepted as authoritative? He says, have you not read? In the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him. And he said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. They were ignorant of God's power, but also of what God's word said. And in doing so, he gives you and I the assurance of our own resurrection one day. Since they only believed in the authority of the Torah, he argued from the Torah about the dead rising. He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, guess what? They're still alive. They've died centuries back, and yet they're more alive than they ever have been in their existence. It would be strange and foolish for God to say, he is the God of men who no longer exist. What does that mean? It means that they must be alive and there must be a resurrection. If death means that one's existence is gone, he would have said, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. You know, the pa- the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, they all believed in life that continued past this physical realm, this physical death that we would experience. They knew that God's promises were beyond earthly life, that they were eternal and they were promised by God himself. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 and also 13 through 16. He says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Verse 13, and all these people died. All the, chapter 11 is about all those who had faith in God, right? They believed that God existed, that God rewarded those who trusted in Him. And He talks about all their lives, all the different men and women who died in their faith still trusting in God. He says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. That is a key to living your best life, by the way. It's actually realizing that you are a spiritual being on an earthly journey and not the other way around. When you when you and I get that, that, man, if we're looking for this life to be our ultimate fulfillment and not a, in Jesus and not in him, you will always be disappointed in life because you'll be looking for that next high, that next thing, oh, this next relationship, this next goal I can meet. He says they agree that there are foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking looking forward to a country they can call their own. And if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If they knew the power of God, then resurrection is no problem. Paul used that argument when he was preaching the gospel to a group of people that were intellectual and didn't uh, believe in the resurrection he said like wh- wh- why would it be strange that that god could raise the dead why would you think it would- if you believe the first words of the bible in the beginning god then everything else you read is easy to believe right if you believe in god's existence they 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 didn't know the power of god and if they did the resurrection would be no problem by the way it tells us in ephesians 1 that the power that raised christ from the dead like actually dwells within us. God's, you, to live the Christian life, you read scripture and you just go like, oh man, I can't do that. Does anybody else read the scripture? And you go, Lord, that's difficult to do. Like, I, I don't know how I'm gonna do that. You don't do it in your own willpower. You actually, you'd actually live a life surrendered to God saying, God, in my strength, I can't do this but I believe that your power can give me the ability to live out the Christian life, to do the things that are difficult to do, to forgive, to obey God, to run from sin and temptation. That power is at work in us to form us into his image, but also that power one day will bring us to this place where we have a resurrected body. And if they knew the truth of God, they would believe the reality of the resurrection. When Jesus talks about this, He gives you and I our own assurance of one day that we will spend eternity with God. Our future is secure as believers. You know, the disciples were at the end with Jesus. In John chapter 14, they knew he'd been talking about his death. They knew something crazy was about to happen. And he tells them in, in, in John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home If if this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. God is preparing a place, a heavenly home, a spiritual body for you if you're a believer to inhabit for all eternity. And that's gonna happen either by That moment in time when you take your last breath on this planet, you're going to take your very next in the presence of God forever and ever in a brand new spiritual body. Or the rapture of the church, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will be raised and we who are alive and remain will be changed like metamorphosis, like from... Well, a great example from nature is you go, man. You and I are living like caterpillar existence on Earth, <laughs> right? But man, when in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's just like trans metamorphosis happens. We see it in nature when there's this butterfly that you know comes out of this cocoon, and I, and maybe that's one of the, the best sort of human illustrations of what happens when a believer dies to have this resurrected body either by rapture of his church or by death, we have the assurance of heaven because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection secured it forever. You know, that gives you an eye assurance. Every single one of us has a, uh, you ever go to Trader Joe's and you buy some eggs, you get home you're like, oh, it says, expires yesterday. Traders always does that. No, never mind. My son worked there. It's a good place. Every single one of us has a stamp, right? Expiration date. You can juice. <laughs> you can stretch. You'll feel better on your way to eternity, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, when they say, you know, you know. if you're a smoker, does that mean you go to hell? No, but it means you smell like it on your way to heaven, perhaps. Don't smoke kids, it's bad for your health. Right? Every single one of us. And it's so hard when you're young, it's so hard when you're 15, 16 to kind of think about that. Uh, when you get, you know, 40, 50, and then you know, they, hey, you need to have this annual checkup be like going, what are you talking about? I'm 25. Your wife's like, no, you're 51. Like, what? Woman? Well, you a robot? You a liar? One day. What a great promise Paul gives us. You know, and, and we try to, we, I'm so grateful for this life. I'm so grateful for the fun and joyful moments we get. I'm so grateful we live in America, right? I mean, think about that. I read this morning that Ukraine is asking for more of God's word, more Bibles to hand out to the refugees that are heading into different countries. Like, I didn't see one of you rolling down you know, uh, Willow Avenue with your suitcase and a few things that you could grab before bombs started dropping. I'm so grateful we live in the greatest country. But sometimes we can sort of almost try to like go, Lord, what do we need heaven for? Right? Because like, that sounds lame. Let me tell you right now, when Jesus looked at that man on the cross and says, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. I could promise you that when that man stepped into eternity with the Son of God, that he n- never looked back, nor any of our loved ones would look back and say, gee, I wish I could have another couple years on planet Earth. For to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. Glorified bodies, enjoying his presence Forever, worshiping him, serving him. And because there's no sin, we'll have perfect fellowship in heaven. You have a, a friend, a church friend, you just go, yeah. you know what I mean? Like this, I mean, Christian people do us dirty, right? Right? That's why they'll be on that first level of heaven. No, I'm just kidding. It's not a real thing, people. It's not a real thing. We just go, it's not on earth. Mm-mm. You need to work on that. God wants it to be on earth through forgiveness and repentance and mercy shown. But in heaven, there's no barriers of sin, insecurity that we're going to have. Like, have you ever had a heavenly kind of moment? Birth of a baby, sweet fellowship with people. You just go like, I finally feel understood. Like they, we just you just have like a moment, you leave it and you just go, "Boy, it's a little glimpse, you know what I mean? A glimpse of heaven. For all eternity, that times infinity is what God's kingdom will be like. For all eternity, they were ignorant of God's word and His power. Can I encourage you, don't be found in their same shoes. Know your Bible. Spend time in your Bible every single day. It, it is. I'll just say this. Well, what have I got to lose? You will never grow to spiritual maturity getting a little text message of a verse of the day. This, you just won't. I'm not saying it's not encouraging, right? I'm not saying it's not helpful. I'm just saying we need to be men and women who are who are. Um, serious about the things of god and i'm not saying hours a day i'm just saying like get on a reading plan like spend time reading through god's word it will transform your life it would also help you and i uh you know understand like what it means to live for him to hear from him to obey him and when issues come up progressive ideas that the church unfortunately starts adopting you actually have be equipped with god's truth Things about judgment, things about sin, things about eternity and heaven and hell, right? Sexuality. It denies this this kind of undercurrent that's sweeping through the church. It, It denies core truths from God's word. We believe in a God of love. Of course we believe in a God of love. But there's also a God of judgment. And to say, well, I can't ever believe that a God of love wouldn't allow this and allow this and allow this. Like, you know, that's a a smorgasbord of Christianity that's not true. In fact, if there's no judgment, then why did Jesus need to come and die on the cross for us? It's true God is love. He loves us. It's exactly why he came to die for us. Why is this important for Mark? Because he's leading his readers and us to come to a place where we would believe in Jesus as the son of God and he's come to take away the sins of the world. And what you believe in life, in uh, what you believe about God's word is a life and death issue for Mark. And that's why he writes his little book. You must believe that Jesus is the son of God. He became a man to die for the sins of the world and he rose again, defeating death. And purchase you and I a place in eternity through our simple faith and belief in him, that he might bring forgiveness of sins to all who come to him. You know, we're going to get to uh, the the night that Jesus is betrayed and, or the night, yeah, he's betrayed and he's with the the disciples as they celebrate Passover. That's what we're going to do this morning. As we uh, wrap up this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. It's through his death that you and I can be made right with God. Jesus tells us that you and I are to do this meal. We're to eat this meal, this living sermon, if you would, on a regular basis. Uh, COVID sort of stopped us from doing that on a regular monthly basis. But this is COVID free, I was told, as I came in this morning. So we're all good. Here's what Paul says about This meal. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the lord so let a person examine himself or herself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup this bread that we have it represents the lord's body the cup represents his blood his body was torn his body was beaten his body was bruised Right By his stripes we are healed. He took the wine that night as they celebrated the Passover and he brought new meaning to it. He called it the new covenant. It's God's new way of relating to people through his work. Our relationship with God is predicated on this death and his work for us on the cross, not your ability to keep his commands. He says, do this as often as you eat it and drink it. You do it in remembrance of me. So in communion, we look back. We look back at the death of the Lord and we remember his death and what it accomplished for us. We remember that he loves us. That's why he went to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The gospel is essentially a love story. Something God created was lost and the only way to get us back was for he himself to go and stand in the gap on our behalf, take the sins of the world upon himself, right? He loves rebels like us those who weren't looking for God. He loves us and he demonstrated his love for us. As Romans 5, 8 says, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to bring us back into relationship with God. We remember, we look back that he loves us. We look back that he died for us, that God made him who never sinned to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He died because our sins separated us from him. And, and Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death. That's the only option, right? Jesus says in John 14, 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other option to get to the Father except through me. So when we take this cup and we take this bread, we remember that our only opportunity to be made right with God is by actually our simple faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, the fact that he loves us and he died for us. And we were cleansed from all of our sin when he died on the cross for our sins. Paul says, let us examine ourselves." We also look within. Are we honoring God amongst each other? You know, to to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, this wasn't, um, you know, an issue of like, have I struggled with temptation? Have I sinned this week? No, the self-examination is, Lord, is there anything that's hindering me from you? Has there been something the spirit of God's been talking to you this week? I want you to confess it. I want you to turn from this. I want you to go and talk to that person. I want you to go make it right with that brother or sister. The church in Corinth that we read out of, they were just a jacked up mess of just a lot of selfishness. He says, I want you to turn and and stop being so selfish about your faith. And I want you to go and make things right with one another and stop exalting yourself above others. So we look within, we take caution when we take this. It's not, Lord, if I struggled this week with sin and temptation, I'm not worthy. Well, none of us are worthy. He says, don't do it in an unworthy manner. The best time for you to take the Lord's Supper is when you realize, man, I've been struggling. Man, I've been doing things I shouldn't be doing. Because you remember that your standing with him is not your effort. It's by his grace. The fact that he died for your sins. We say, God, as we partake, Lord, I want to thank you for cleansing me of my sin. Lord, thank you that you maintain my salvation. I don't have to work hard this week to try to keep my salvation above the water. He maintains our salvation. But we do some self-examining. We do some confession. And third, we look ahead. In verse 26, he said, we look towards the day when Christ returns. There's something about this meal that fixes our eyes on the fact that, gang, this earth, though we have some wonderful, beautiful moments on it, our eyes are fixed on that day one day when Christ is going to return. And so we eat this meal and it proclaims his death until he returns, until he comes. We forever look back at what he did. We look within, we seek to honor Jesus as his body, but we look ahead for the time when he returns and we proclaim that to the world that his death, John three sixteen, brings life to all who would come to him. Let's take a moment today as Fuego comes out and leads us in some a song of worship. You know, what we do here at RVC, and if it's been, a, I guess, a decade and a half, hasn't it? With COVID or something like that, is uh, we just give you a chance to stand and worship with us. And when you feel like, you know what, I'm gonna come up, want to come up with my family. I want to come up as an individual. Uh, you might want to go out, peel off to the side and go pray. You want to take it back to your seat. You could do whatever you feel God leading you to do. But take some moment and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you've done for me. I want to thank you as we look at our passage today that you've secured my eternal residence in your kingdom forever because of what you did for me. Maybe there's something you need to say, God, I need to tell you, I'm ready to be done with this area of sin. God, I'm ready to to speak to that person about reconciliation or forgiveness. Maybe it's, Lord, I'm done trying to play living for you halfway and living for this world the other way. Lord, I'm all yours. Man, then you come, you partake. And if you don't know him today, before you come to this table, ask yourself the question, man, do I really know the Lord? What does it mean to know the Lord? It means that you acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you believe that he died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And then you you choose personally to confess him as your personal Lord and savior. There's no magical words. It's just you with the Lord right now saying, God, I'm done running from you. God, come into my life and make me new. And you come and you partake of the Lord's Supper today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness, God. And we thank you today for this opportunity for us to to remember you, Jesus. You said as often as you do it. Some churches do it weekly. Some do it monthly. Some do it every couple months. Some families do it daily. As often as we do it, though, Lord, we do it in remembrance of you. God, we remember that finished work of the cross. God, as we head into the Easter season, Lord, we are once again reminded as a community, as a world, that there, something radical happened. Greatest event that ever happened in this world was when the son of God took on the sins of the world and died for the sins of the world. And three days later rose from the dead. Lord, today we remember your death. We remember your love and we're so grateful. We rejoice today at what you have done for each and every one of us, what you've offered each and every one of us, through relationship, through a loving relationship with you, simply because we've chosen to believe in you. It's In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.